Have you ever wanted to discover what's missing in your life? Metaphysics is available to all and is part of your life even if you don't know it. Welcome to Metaphysics, a view through the veil with Barb Crowley. Together we'll explore the mysteries behind metaphysics and how to use it to have a deeper understanding and advantage in life. And now here's your host, Barb Crowley. Hi, this is Barb Crowley and welcome to Metaphysics, a view through the veil. Today, we're discussing traditions of folk magic, healing, and witchcraft in the Ozark Mountain region, which is in Arkansas and Missouri. These are also related to the Appalachian traditions. Brandon Weston, our guest today, comes from a long line of Ozark Hill folk and works hard to keep the traditions that he's collected alive and true for generations to come. He is the author of Ozark Folk Magic, Plants, Prayers and Healing, and his new book, Ozark Mountain Spellbook, which is coming out in June of 2022. Brandon is a spiritual healer, medium, and writer living in the Ozark, in the Arkansas Ozarks, and I'm happy to have him here with us today. Welcome to the show, Brandon. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad you're here. I love this stuff. Um, So let's start, though, with lineage, which you know, we talked for a minute before the show, and which is so important in the Ozark and Appalachian traditions. So what is lineage? So lineage for me is, you know, how practices and traditions are ultimately passed down. And in the Ozarks, it's really interesting because, you know, we can kind of divide practitioners up into what I like to call the traditionalists and the neo-traditionalists. So the traditionalists tend to be tied much closer to traditional old Ozark culture. They tend to live in rural areas. They tend to have more of a sort of conservative worldview, that sort of thing. Neo-traditionalists are still rooted within the Ozark landscape, within Ozark folk traditions, but they're much more likely to bring in new things. And Mm so when we talk about new things specifically today, we're talking about Um, you know, traditions from Wicca, traditions from other witchcraft traditions, Uh, young people my age, and, you know, even in rural Ozarks are starting to get more and more interested in sort of pan-European traditional witchcraft, you know, Mm. Cornish witchcraft, uh, Scottish witchcraft, that sort of thing. And so the neo-traditionalists are much more likely to look back to older sources to sort of fill in their practice. And so when we talk about lineage amongst the traditionalists, you know, there used to be a lot of very strict taboos about how you pass down practices, specifically how you pass down verbal charms, which were always kept secret. Um, Mm -hmm. So you could, you know, the old beliefs were you could only pass down these things uh, older to younger. So cross-generational, you could only pass them down cross-gender. So man to woman, woman to man. Um, sometimes you could only pass them down through your family, that sort of thing. And let me stop you there. Do you know the reason on woman to man, man to woman? Do you know I, the reason? I don't. You find it pop up. Before. You actually find it pop up in a lot of different folk cultures. And the only thing that I can really sort of point to is this, um, this idea of separation. So you know, at at least from an Ozark point of view, the gift or the power is almost seen as a tangible thing. So Mm -hmm. you can be born with it, you can find it, 
you can be given the power, you can steal the power, that sort of thing. But ultimately, it's, you know, the amount that you have can fluctuate. So, you know, in the old days, Ozark healers, when they wanted to retire, you know, when they got up to, you know, old age, Mm -hmm. they would give their power to somebody, they would give it all. And they, and the, with the idea being that they had, they didn't have the power anymore. So it was really like handing a gift down to, Mm -hmm. to someone. So the only thing that I can really connect that taboo to is this idea of sort of the otherworldliness of power. And so in a lot of, a lot of times, you know, the, the ways that power is passed down or the way that power is worked is something that's sort of contrary to ordinary life. So whereas you might pass down, um, you know, a gift to an apprentice or something like that, who is, you know, slightly younger than you or, you know, whatever, the power is seen as being something that has to be passed down in sort of unusual way or an unordinary way, because the power itself is sort of unusual. It's, it's, you know, not something that is every day, but what you see with lineage is, you know, this, this sort of passing down created a lot of mostly family lineages for a very long time, but we reached a point in the Ozarks where with urbanization and things like that, that people weren't able to pass down the power in the same way. Um, So for instance, I have met older, more traditionalist people that were sort of stuck. They had no one to pass the power to or their gifts to because they weren't, they were still, you know, they were still working within those taboos, but there was no one in their life that could fulfill that. Wow. So in a lot of cases, I became that person because I was interested. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what you see with the neo-traditionalist is that a lot of these taboos have sort of been set aside. And so lineage becomes much more of about a relationship between the individual and their teacher, whoever that might be. And so, you know, it's interesting to look at a lot of those more traditional taboos, but I will say that today practices are becoming more and more popular and more and more prevalent in the area because those taboos have been set aside. And You know, it's for better or for worse. I've met older people that really had a a lot to say about people reading information on the internet or reading from books, things like that, that that's, that's wrong. That's not how you get the power, that sort of thing. But then I've also seen, you know, even in my own work, you know, a lot of success coming from learning in alternative ways, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So I always have to preface you know, that there's the traditionalist way of doing things and the neo-traditionalist and neither are right or wrong. It's just different ways of looking at it. So my, some of the things though, um, and this I think is traditionalist is that when you give power away, you actually, there's only so much power. So when Mm -hmm. you give it away, you take it, you've lost that power. Yeah, that's so a, that's a more traditionalist way of, yeah. of viewing the power, um, as as like I was saying, this tangible mm-hmm. stuff. So as one teacher told me, you know, it's it's like a well inside your body, body, or what she said was a pitcher, like a tea pitcher, mm-hmm. and so your pitcher can be full up of water or this power when you're born, or you can fill it up by having the power given to you, but you only have so much, and yeah. so. 
That's why, for instance, verbal charms and ritual and things like that are mostly done in secret is because, you know, every time somebody sees you do these things or hears one of your verbal charm, you're pouring that power out of your pitcher. You're pouring out some of the water. And so traditionalists, you know, they would enter a sort of retirement where they would just fill up their, their student or apprentice's uh, pitcher from the get-go. And I should say a lot of times these lineages were created without, so the person that is receiving this power, they may not even want it. They may not even want to be a healer, have no plans on using it. But the idea is that at a certain point, the, tr- the traditionalist healer has to pass this along because you can't die with it. You can't die with the power. What and happens so it, if you die with it? Well, there's lots of different theories. Mostly, you know, the traditionalists tend to be very pious. And so the view of the gift is that it's ultimately from God. So mm-hmm. if you die with it, it's almost like squandering the gift. You oh, know? it goes back to God. Then. Yeah. It's it goes, taken it goes, out of the physical form. Right. And so basically the idea is that you want to pass this down because you want to keep the gift going. You don't, mm-hmm. you don't want to misuse the gift. But then there are also some legends that, it, you know, people that die with the power, the power can actually, you know, harm your spiritual body. And so there are stories mm-hmm. about healers that turn into ghosts that haunt people because, you know, they, were, they weren't able to pass this power down. And so there, there are lots of interesting stories about that. <laughs> but what, what it sort of creates is this urgency for people. And mm-hmm. these days most people aren't able to really satisfy that, that urgency because, you know, a lot of times they don't have people in their lives that they can pass this stuff to. So unfortunately a lot of people die with it. Yeah. You, you took that place for some people. So that would be a traditional um, transfer. Right. Yes. Yeah. How was that as the receiver? You know, of well, that because so, it's different from going to a class and learning. Right. Oh, it, it so definitely is. Yeah. So, you know, traditionally there are there were lots of different sort of rituals that accompany passing down the power. And, you know, not everybody practiced these things. Sometimes it was as simple as just sitting down with somebody. And in one case, a, a woman I met, she didn't pass anything to me, but she explained how she passed it to her granddaughter. And she just sat with her granddaughter and put her hand on her shoulder. And it was just sort of a spiritual passing down sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But then sometimes, you know, in the case of specifically with verbal charms, which always almost always have to be memorized. Mm-hmm. And so with, with verbal charms, a lot of times there's a test involved. And so in one wow. case, the test is, you know, the, the healer will sit down with the, the person that is perhaps going to take this stuff and they will repeat their verbal charms sometimes without a break. And this, the person they're passing to is supposed to repeat them back Mm-hmm. without looking at a paper or writing them down or anything like that. And this is a test to see if the person already has sort of an inborn gift. And so some of the verbal charms that I've collected were passed to me in that way. Um, so an individual would recite them usually once. There was a couple situations where they recited them a couple times for me. And then I was expected to repeat them. And so, and if, you know, if the person can repeat them, they have caught the charm. 
And in some cases, it means that the original holder of the charm will never be able to really use that charm ever again. So it's kind of sad in a way. <laughs> it is, but you know, yeah. I can't. Or maybe a relief. <laughs> well, and I, at first I thought about it too, because, you know, I've collected so many verbal charms that I probably will never actually use. I plan on passing them down at some point mm. um, to people who will use them. But, and so I kind of thought it was sad also, but then also just the, the sort of joy on people's faces, you know, that they had somebody to pass this stuff down to and that they could really enter a retirement because the healer's life, especially amongst the traditionalists is hard. You know, there, there are pretty strict taboos about accepting money. Um, so a lot of times people didn't feel right about accepting money for what they did. So a lot of times they were very sort of important community figures, but they hardly ever got the thanks they deserved. They hardly ever got paid for what they were doing. So, you know, a lot of times these healers really did want to retire, <laughs> wanted to, yeah. wanted to and be able to And they would be on say, call in a way. Yeah. I mean, walking down the street well, and people yeah. just coming up and, hey, Especially these days, yeah. the, the, the traditionalist healers that I met, uh, almost all of them worked over the phone too. Mm-hmm. And so constantly ringing phone, ringing phone, you know, oh, people yeah, calling yeah. in or sending in letters and, and things like that, or emails, things. So yeah, I think the work of the healer today is maybe <laughs> a little bit harder than it used to be because there's so many different ways of getting in touch with us. Mm-hmm. So it, it, yeah, there was a, there was a little bit of a bittersweet, you know, aspect to it but i really was happy to be able to let these people retire by by taking on some of this stuff now when it when when you received it was (laughs) it like thunk (laughs) did you feel anything or was it so subtle that you know not really you were already um, a healer so there were a couple times where i definitely felt something Um, and you know, I, I sort of have sensitivities to the other world and spirits and things like that. I can usually sense, you know, in an Ozark, uh, context, there are places of power. And so these are places where sort of the natural magic in the world pool, uh, Mm -hmm. into sort of deeper areas. And so I can usually kind of sense those places, um, which is a sort of traditional Ozark gift um, that's usually given to people with the sight or the second right. sight, you know, that can see into those areas. And so there was a few times where when things were passed down to me, I definitely felt the same sort of feeling as though something was sort of manipulating the, the, that current of magic in the world and sort of pooling it where we were. That, that's, that's what it felt like to me. Um, and, but there were a few other times where, you know, it was almost mechanical, you know, it was just, you know, here's, here's everything I have and I'll kind of explain some things to you. And then that's that you've got the power now. Um, so yeah, it's, it's very with odd. You. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. With you, yeah, exactly. And <laughs> it, it's interesting because, you know, the, there's such a diversity of healers in the Ozarks, you know, there's not just sort of one, uh, definition that we can really apply. So there are people that work more in a mechanical way, and there are people that work more in a spiritual way. And so when while working with my teachers who had more of those sort of spiritual leanings, 
the experiences that I had ended up being more spiritual for me. You know, the, the sort of uh, tingles on my arms when certain things happen and things like that. But then I worked with, you know, healers who, you know, verbal charms were almost like, um, you know, medications like pills, mm-hmm. that sort of thing, very mechanical, very sort of materialistic. And so right. passing down those things was, there was still a sort of ritual involved with it, but it was, it was more mechanical, like, you know, here, here's your prescription. You've got it now you can give it to other people. Um, mm-hmm. but it, right. it, there wasn't, there wasn't really a spiritual dynamic to it. How did the traditionalist feel about you writing down the spells and all. So it, it's always, it's kind of been, you know, mixed reviews. <laughs> um, I, I actually went back and forth with the first book, whether or not I wanted to publish any of this stuff. But what I re- ultimately came, the decision I came to was that it was better to teach this and try to revitalize this culture than, than keep it hidden. Unfortunately, the taboos and the secrecy have really caused the tradition to die out. Mm -hmm. And so where we are right now is, you know, there are hardly any practitioners in the Ozarks that are actually left. And that is because either people haven't had people in their lives to pass down. You mean the traditionalist practitioner? Traditionalist practitioners. Yeah. yeah. And even, but even amongst the neo-traditionalists, the connection to the actual Ozarks itself is waning. Um, And so really I felt a sense of urgency to revitalize this culture. To get it. Yeah. To get it. How did you get interested in it in the first place? Because it wasn't a lineage. It wasn't in your family that you knew until later. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I grew up with a lot of stories and things like that. And most Ozarkers who come from Ozark families, they have these stories in their families. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, the, these sort of home remedies, folk tales, things like that are just right. sort of naturally passed through the culture. And so I didn't really think anything of it until I got to college. And really, I it was when I discovered Vance Randolph. So Vance Randolph is probably the best known Ozark folklorist. He wrote in the first part of the 20th century, around the 30s, 40s, 50s. And uh, his work, as well as there were a few others, Mary Parler was also very, very influential. But um, they wrote it down, even as traditionalists, they wrote it down. They weren't actually practitioners themselves. They were folklorists. And so they were interested it. in collecting yeah. stories more than anything. Uh, but Vance, he, they, they went out into the hills with recording equipment and recorded all this stuff. And then he published for a popular audience. And so that's what really got people interested. So around here, most people, you know, if they're interested in Ozark folklore, they know Vance Randolph because his books mm-hmm. are still unpublished, even though he has passed on. And so I found his Ozark Magic and Folklore, which is his pretty, pretty well best known book. And as I was reading through it, he talks about, you know, the healers, he talks about the witches, he talks about the folklore, the magical creatures and the weird monsters and things like that. And so uh, I really, as I was reading it, it was kind of a shock because I was like, oh, this is stuff that was like passed down in my family. And I, I never realized that there was really a culture here that we could actually point to. So then I got interested. I, I was kind of hooked at that point. 
which I've always kind of been interested in folklore, uh, mythology, things like that. So I really wanted to see, you know, if my family had any of these stories still. So I started with my family collecting anything that they would give to me. Uh, and I really started getting interested specifically in healing practices because I learned about my great uncle Bill, who was a wart charmer. And so he a could, what he, charmer? a wart charmer. So he could buy warts off of people like warts, W-A-R-T-S. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so potato one, right? Well, no. So the way he (laughs) did it, he was actually, so there are lots of different sort of like subcategories of wart charmers. Mm -hmm. He was specifically a wart buyer. Um, So he could, so the, the sort of ritual was if you, if you had a wart, you would find uncle Bill. We only ever saw them at like family reunions and things like that. But if you had a a wart, you'd go up and say, you know, uncle Bill, I have a wart. And he would kind of look over it a little bit. And then he would usually pull out a penny or a dime and he would say, well, I'll buy it off of you. (laughs) And you would take the penny and the dot or the dime, and then you would go on your way. And overnight your wart would disappear. And wild. (laughs) Yeah. And so I, you know, I, I can personally attest to his power. I have family members that can attest to his power, that sort of thing. And so just hearing stories about him and then reading in Vance Randolph's book about wart charmers, that really got me interested. And so I was like, okay, well, there's, there's gotta be something else here. I wonder what else is out there as far as healing practices go and things like that. And, you know, not coming from a healer family, I, I really didn't find, a, I found a lot of really interesting stories within my family, but not sort of the healer magical stories that I was really looking for. So I, I spread out from there and I went from informant to informant over the course of probably about three years. I did um, several tours of both Arkansas and Missouri Ozarks and really about a year into this sort of collection, because originally I was collecting this as a folklorist. I was collecting it as, you know, uh, an academic work. I, at this point, I wasn't really a part of the, the process, so to speak. Yeah. yeah. You but, hadn't accepted power yet. Right. Yeah. But I, I met one of, one of my favorite teachers who I ended up working with quite a bit. Um, who a lot of the sort of granny characters of the book is, are, is sort of based on. Um, and so we I'm were going to ask you a minute about that granny, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but go ahead and then we'll come back to it. We, so one day we were talking and she just sort of stopped me in a very well-meaning Ozark way. You know, she was very calm in her voice, but you could tell that she was very frustrated with me. And she just, she just asked, she just said, you know, why are you acting like you're not a part of this? Hmm. And no one up until that point had ever really confronted me in that way. And is something clicked. And so I started thinking, I was like, well, of course, like this isn't, I'm not a, I'm not a folklorist coming from out of state or out of region coming to study this culture. I'm in this culture. I'm a part of this culture. My ancestors are from here. Like this is in my blood. Why am I looking at this from, uh, from almost an outsider outside perspective? Exactly. And so she was the one that really identified the gift within me, which brought back all of these memories of childhood, you know, being in the woods and talking to trees and fairies and things like that. And so 
with her, you know, my entire process changed completely. And I, I was, I wasn't looking at this as like an academic folklorist sort of perspective. I was really, I started collecting this material and practices and things as a actual lineage keeper myself. So rather than looking at it from the outside, I was looking at it from within the practice and it, it changed everything. It changed the way I'm I was sure, collecting. Yeah. Yeah. So I, from that point on, I, I really stopped recording a lot of the conversations I had with people because once you bring out a recorder or a pad of paper, people, especially healers, traditionalist healers in particular, they, they, they close off, they, they start yeah. clamming up. And so I put all of that away because I was, I was much more interested in finding out, you know, where these people were situated today, where they, they saw their power today, things like that. And that's when I started actually collecting things from traditionalists in particular, because they felt more comfortable passing things to me at that point. Mm -hmm. And so it just completely changed everything. And so I, yeah, to go back to the original question, which I don't even know if I answered about publishing the book. So I went round and round with myself as to whether or not I wanted to publish this, but um, ultimately I have felt that this book is really going to be revitalizing the culture. And I always tell people too, that there is a ton of stuff that I haven't published because I don't feel like it should be published. And so the material I that people- I want to know what that is. Right. <laughs> the, so the material that people are reading, even in the spell book, you know, I include verbal charms and things like that. And as part of the spell book, all of this stuff is- stuff that has power in and of its own. So it is stuff that can be published. It is stuff that, that people can utilize. And so, you know, there in amongst the traditionalists, there's this idea of a dead charm or a dead verbal charm. And these are charms that are usually written down and published. Mm -hmm. But in this case, you know, the charms that I have published are not the ones that I really feel like should be kept secret. Um, right. I've gone through a lot of experimentation and all of the, all of the spells in the book are spells that I have, you know, had as a part of my own practice and have gotten a lot of success out of. Um, so I'm going to yes. stop you right there. We're yeah. going to take a break. <laughs> and when we come back, we're going to talk about the grannies and the, um, some of your rituals as well. I want to hear some of these secret rituals. And then, um, and then we'll talk about, you talked about the uh, place of power and the, um, the spell entry structure and all of that, as well as I'm going to ask you for your favorite rituals. So we'll be right back. One thing's for certain, life is uncertain. Do you navigate the unknowns? Visit aviewthroughtheveil.com to sign up for psychic readings and classes with Barb Crowley. You can schedule one-to-one sessions with Barb for personal and relationship counseling, pet communication, mediumship, career and business direction, or sign up for one of her classes. Everyone has answers through the metaphysical plane, but they need help to access them. Get the help you need today. Visit aviewthroughtheveil.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. 
You are listening to Metaphysics, A View Through the Veil with Barb Crowley. To reach the live show, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to aviewthroughtheveil at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, this is Barb Crowley and Metaphysics of View Through the Veil. And we're back with Brandon Weston. And we have been talking about Ozark folk magic. And we're going to bring him back in to talk about the grannies as well as the structures of the rituals. So come on, Brandon, you have to tell us first about the granny because your your book, your second book opens up with granny mm-hmm. or Graham. You called her Graham Watson. Graham Watson. Yeah. Yeah. So the, it's interesting because in the Ozarks, like, especially when you start talking to, uh, to older people, you know, the, the line between fact and fiction is always so blurred. Yeah. <laughs> so, you, so what yeah. you end up having are sort of these folk tales that encompass both reality as well as sort of uh, a cultural reality. Mm-hmm. And grannies, or, you know, they were often called Graham as a sort of honorific title they were often a figure of a lot of folk tales and usually, so they were, they were almost always based on actual figures within the community. Although certain figures, you know, may have been uh, changed and incorporated into other stories, things like that. Um, but they were usually blended based stories, blended <laughs> stories. Yeah. Well, that yeah. took place, you know, this story is based on this actual person, but, you know, stories about this person continue well after they pass on. (laughs) So like (laughs) that sort of thing. Um, And so, you know, they're based on an actual, actual figures within the community who were called granny women and granny women. This, this is sort of um, uh, almost a folklore folklorist term or anthropologist term. So within the community, they were usually just called grannies or, uh, you know, they go went by the title of Graham uh, as a sort of grandma sort of thing, mm. shortening of grandma. But they were usually um, an older woman within the community that uh, was a, a midwife, but incorporated in a lot of different other healing practices as well. In the old Ozark, before, you know, country doctors came through and things like that, there was a strict taboo against men working on women in any capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so really, you know, <laughs> you have half of your population who are probably women. Well, how are they going to get medical care? And so what ended up happening was you would have women with the gift who would rise up within the community and heal specifically women. So they sort of started off probably as midwives, but a lot of times in the community, the, the granny woman was the healer. So not only was she a midwife, but she also, you know, usually knew verbal charms, you know, how to stop a bleeding wound, how to blow fire out of a burn. Cure and an warts, herbalist as well. And an herbalist. So, yeah. you know, a lot of times the, the male healers in the community might specialize in one of these things. The granny woman really encompassed all of these things a lot of the times. And so she was a very important member of the community and got a lot of respect. 
unfortunately, you know, as, as it goes, um, a lot of times the granny woman was the first one to be labeled as a witch in the community as well. And in the Ozarks, especially, you know, the line between being a healer and a witch was so thin and really all it, all it really depended on was a bad review from somebody in town (laughs) that could label you mad at you. Yeah. Yeah. And so a lot of the folk tales that sort of travel around the Ozarks feature these famous granny women who may or may not have existed or may have been based on actual people, but their names got changed. And Graham Watson is one of these. So Graham Watson is sort of an amalgam of uh, a few of my own teachers, as well as a mixture of other uh, folkloric, I guess, granny women. Um, and so I, I really wanted to, when I, you know, introducing the spell book, I really wanted to start with a folk tale about a granny woman. And this story is, is based on a story that I heard with some changes, you know, uh, Ozarkers, we always have to doctor as it's called doctor our stories, uh, which means, you know, you add your own sort of spin to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it, uh, these granny women were very important in the community and still kind of are, they've just changed sort of roles. Uh, so nowadays, you know, most people don't use midwives in the rural communities. It's actually, you know, people not from the area that are getting interested in midwifery again. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rural people are usually happy to go to the hospital if they <laughs> are having a baby, that sort <laughs> yeah. of thing. Um, and so, but the role of the granny woman, I would say is still prevalent, but it's switched over to what I call the praying grannies. So usually in rural communities, you always have these, uh, you know, older women, sometimes they're widows. Uh, sometimes I've had big families, things like that, that are very well respected as sort of everybody's grandma in the community. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, have usually have this power, this gift to pray for people. And usually they know a Bible verse for everything you might need. So people will go to them. Uh, I met one who was fascinating. She, the, the only healing rituals she did was she would pray over people's medications. So she would tell them to go to the doctor and get a diagnosis. And then they would bring her either the diagnosis papers or they would bring her pill bottles, things like that. And she would pray over them. And so she was still operating in this role of the granny woman for the community, Mm -hmm. this sort of matriarchal figure within the community, but without a lot of the medical procedures that would have been so necessary in the past. So the role is still there. It's just changed. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're still very interesting to look at. Yeah, they've stepped back from that, from the actual medicine part. Yeah. And, yeah. and using the magic to, to enhance. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, you see that kind of across the board with both traditionalist and neo-traditionalist, you know, in Arkansas, especially, or the Ozarks, you know, for a long time, you know, they were rounding up people and sending them to jail for practicing medicine right. without license and things like yeah. that. And so a lot of the traditional healers have altered their role. So it's not that it's not that healers no longer heal. We just operate in a different way. And so for my own practice, I, I, you know, I hardly ever give people herbal advice, things like that. I, I see myself as sort of 
fulfilling the other side of the healing process that gets neglected, which is the spiritual side, the magical side. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if somebody wants that side of the healing process, then I am happy to provide that. And that's sort of what has become what is traditional in the Ozarks is people will usually refer people either to an herbalist or to a doctor or something like that. And then they will fulfill that other side of the healing process. Mm-hmm. In the old days, you know, the, it, there was no, it was just all healing, whether it was physical or magical, it was, it was just healing. It was all the same. It was all the same. And so, yeah. and then now we have, you know, a very good, you know, modern sort of physical medicine system, but the other side has been neglected that, that spiritual side. Mm-hmm. And for Ozarkers, you know, that is a very traditional, important piece of the puzzle that has been left out for so long. And so healers today, myself included, you know, one of my parts of my really important job is is providing that other side of the process that is Mm -hmm. neglected. And you've done a really good job in your book too. And um, you, well, first magic, you say is a neutral force can be Mm -hmm. used for good or or evil, and you call it right-handed or left-handed. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's the first time of, I heard that. Yeah, that's uh, and that is less Ozark and is more sort of. Uh, if you look back into a lot of like folk magic practices and traditional European magic practices, there is this left-handed, right-handed aspect that comes in, and it's actually a cultural thing more than anything. So it it, it goes back to, I mean, you know, in the Bible there are verses about you know God gives with like the right hand and then takes with the left hand, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And so there is this idea that you know the left left hand is considered the evil hand, the right hand is considered the good hand. I mean, it it sort of, it leached its way into our culture. You know, it seems like for a long time, left-handed children were always, you know, persecuted in school, things like that. (laughs) So the left is always considered sort of counterculture, going Mm -hmm. against the grain, that sort of thing. And so it was kind of a sort of natural way of dividing up the practices, but really, one of the fascinating things I found in, in the Ozarks amongst both traditionalists and neo-traditionalists is that these delineations aren't really ever made apart from if somebody is trying to cover their tracks, so to speak. And so traditionally healers in the Ozarks would practice in a variety of ways. They would be what we would consider gray witches or neutral witches. So sort of working in this neutral area But on the outside, you couldn't work in this neutral area. Your work always had to be considered good. Mm -hmm. Uh, Otherwise, you would be labeled a witch. Oh, I got you. And so I always tell people that the stories about practitioners are always different than the way practitioners were working themselves. Mm -hmm. And so and that is a used to be a way of self-preservation. So, for instance, healers in the Ozarks were usually always very pious, and that might actually figure into the basis of their work, but more often than not, it was probably a way of covering their tracks to to not be labeled as a witch. But the reality of the situation was that people were working in in a neutral way much more often than we really give them credit for. Um, And so the the neutrality is... Uh, I, I like to compare it to the cycles of nature itself. And so the idea that, you know, 
if lightning strikes a tree and the branch falls on your house, was that evil? Uh, if a mm-hmm. flood comes through and floods your garage or whatever, you know, is that, was that an evil act? And we can't really put these definitions or, you know, it's labels neutral. on nature. It's really neutral. And that mm-hmm. is the role of the healer or the magical practitioner is as an extension of this sort of neutrality of nature. So for instance, to go back to the praying grannies, mm-hmm. um, the, the praying granny that I was talking about who prayed over people's meditations and things like that, she knew all of these Bible verses to recite over people's medications. She, she had, uh, you know, she worked in the spirit. So a lot of times the prayers that she said uh, weren't necessarily from the Bible, but were just from her own inspiration, her own imagination. So she knew all of these prayers to heal, to get, you know, bring people money and love and all of this other stuff. But she also knew all the Bible verses to curse her enemies <laughs> or, you know, I, I to, was told by somebody the best curses they ever heard or read about were in the Bible. Absolutely. <laughs> the most and, powerful curses, hexes. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, Bible. and the Bible is full of these things. Mm-hmm. And so that is the perfect example of what I'm talking about is, uh, you know, a praying granny who works with both hands. So just as God gives and takes the healer using this divine power can give and can take, or, you know, today amongst neo-traditionalists, so many practitioners I meet today, you know, we have sort of very weird relationships with religion sometimes. And so for me, it's, you know, this power originates in nature. And so as nature takes and gives, so does the practitioner. And so, you know, you can give with one hand and you can take with the other. And the idea, I think in the spell book, I really wanted to include a section on retribution magic, because this is really one of those traditional areas where healers would have almost always kept this stuff secret because it, it, it stinks of witchcraft. <laughs> you know, yeah. And what do you um, call retribution magic? What is that? So retribution magic, like in a traditional <laughs> Let's <sense>. jump in. <laughs> it's it's kind of one of my favorite areas, actually. And you know, from an Ozark perspective, I have never met a practitioner who would outright hurt somebody. Mm. Um, and so retribution is basically the self-defense of the magical area. So it's not necessarily protective magic because protective magic is sort of setting up these rituals or these spells so that whatever your enemies or whoever's trying to hex you or whatever, or just sort of the wandering evil through the world doesn't come near you. Retribution magic is really the response to when these negative forces do finally come in. Mm -hmm. So for instance, you know, um, an enemy working against you. So what do you do in response to that? And in a traditional sort of Ozark sense, you know, the idea is that you can protect yourself, you can cleanse yourself, but then you can also take this stuff that was sent at you and you can send it back and mm-hmm. you can deal with your enemy. <laughs> you know, you can um, strip them of their power or you can make them blind to seeing you, not physical blindness necessarily, right, but right. And so these are sort of what on the outside would be called curses and hexes and things Mm -hmm. like that. But when you look at the actual mechanics underneath it, it, at least in an Ozark sense, it's always reactionary. So this is always stuff that is 
a reaction to something that has already been done to you. So let's say I, I throw a curse at you um, or I curse you in some way. Um, first of all, how does it get through your protection and does it get through your protection? So let's well, start there. It, and then what are we going to do? <laughs> right. You know, sometimes it doesn't. And um, it's kind of an interesting area. So in, in the Ozarks, neo-traditionalists and traditionalists, this is one of those areas that I think that amongst neo-traditionalists, we are losing, which I am trying to sort of get back into our practice mm-hmm. is um, the old timers were always looking for what they call tokens or omens. Mm-hmm. And so uh, a healer or a magical practitioner might have sort of like daily protection things or like weekly cleansing things that they do, um, or they may have, you know, amulets hanging up in their house that they recharge to protect them and things like that. But they're always on the lookout for tokens that might be a sign that something has slipped through. And Can you sometimes give me an example or... Sure. Um, So, you know, one of the old tokens involves the owl, which is considered a witch bird. And Mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, witches can actually turn themselves into owls and go out and spy on people, things like that. But it's also an omen or a token. So, for instance, during a healing process, so if a healer is working with a client, one of the tokens they may listen for is an owl hooting. And if they hear an owl hooting, they do very important sort of protective work to counter that token. And so for me, you know, I have amulets and things around the house to sort of cleanse the energies because I'm always bringing in so many different things here. (laughs) And so some of the omens that I look out for are usually animal-based omens. So usually like one of them in the Ozarks is if a red bird uh, cardinal uh, lands on your windowsill and taps at your window. It's it's trying to tell you that like something's coming through, or you hear an, an owl. You know, it's it's an omen that you know something might be trying to get in. Um, sometimes, how do you know if it's negative or positive? You know, it's a lot of it is a cultural thing, um, mm-hmm. and then a lot of it is just a sort of feeling. And I really, with, you know, with the spell book and a lot of the work that I do, I try to encourage people to trust and rely upon their own intuition and their own gift. Mm-hmm. Um, and so while observing omens and tokens, I think is one of those things that we can bring back into our practices, ultimately relying on your own tuition is key. And so if you, you know, I tell people, if you've got the, 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 tingling or you know you you uh, walk into your house one day and it feels heavy or it feels you know develop those feelings within yourself trust your intuition trust what you're feeling and Mm -hmm. that's the way that I operate more often than not so if I come into my house and I feel that something's wrong something's probably wrong and so then I, I try to do work to either counter that or to build up my wards things like that what kind of cleansing would you do Let's say I you really come like, in and you can feel yeah. some other energy in here that you don't want. I really like smoke cleanses. Uh, it's a very traditional thing in the Ozarks. Uh, here we use uh, red cedar, Juniperus virginiana, which isn't actually a cedar. It's a, it's a juniper. And mm-hmm. so uh, people outside the Ozarks, if you don't have red cedar trees, you can use ordinary juniper foliage. So leaves or berries mm-hmm. and you know, I, I will just burn some on a coal or just light some. 
And usually in the Ozarks, you, you know, the traditional way of cleansing your house is you start at the front door and you work counterclockwise uh, circle through the entire house, through all the rooms three times. Um, Counterclockwise is the direction of removal. Um, Clockwise is the direction of blessing. It doesn't really matter which direction you go in because either way you can work it. So either you're removing what's there or you are blessing you know, and the, the space yeah, <laughs> and neutralizing. Yeah, so it yeah. doesn't really matter which direction you go in, but so three times through the house. And then usually the smoke and everything is taken out of the house and either uh, washed away in water or, you know, thrown into a fire pit or something like that. And so that's a cl- quick way mm-hmm. um, of sort of cleansing your space, but also you can do sort of I like to do weekly cleanses of both my body and my space and sweeping is another sort of traditional Ozark thing to do. So you just get your broom and like you're sweeping dirt out of the house, you just go around again in a clockwise or counterclockwise circle through your house and you just sweep. Uh, Sometimes people recite prayers or things like that. And you usually will start at, well, with sweeping, you usually do the back door. Um, but either door will work. And once you do the three times, you just sweep everything out of the house. Mm-hmm. And so that's a really good way of just sort of quickly. And I usually do that um, at least portions of my house once a week. Um, yeah. A lot of times people will, uh, traditionalists will incorporate a lot of this stuff into daily practice. So, you know, if somebody, I, I don't know how many times I've met people who, when they're mopping their house, they will pray while they're mopping. And so the house needs to be cleaned, but then the house needs to be spiritually cleaned. So why not do both at the same time? Right, right. Makes <laughs> and, and good so idea. Yeah. <laughs> that's one of those things with Ozark folk magic that sort of surprises a lot of people is that it's often very simple and it's often very incorporated into daily life. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that, that doesn't mean that there's not a very complex foundation underneath there. It just means that, you know, Ozark people, we we like to incorporate rituals into our daily stuff. Magic is everywhere is what you said. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And you use intention and connection. Mm -hmm. You said are the two most important things. Yeah. I mean, from an Ozark perspective, everything goes down to your own personal inspiration, your own personal intention, your connection to your gift. And that is one of those things that, you know, I've had people in classes, they, they say, you know, that feels very modern, a very modern way of work, but it's, it's really not. It's a very traditional way of working in the Ozarks. One of my favorite teachers, uh, one of the things that she told me was that, you know, early on, you know, tools and rituals and things like that, they help you sort of connect to that innate magic in the world. But eventually you should get to the point where you can do everything you need to do in a completely empty jail cell. Hmm. The idea being that ultimately all that really matters is your inspiration, your connection, your power. And this was one of my teachers that I saw work wonders with just her voice, just her, her words and with no other ritual, no other items, anything like that. Um, she, she used to come out with these like poetic verbal charms, just sort of inspired by her own spirit, that sort of thing. Um, and so I, that's what I really try to encourage with people. And I mentioned that in the spell book that 
you know, this is a starting point, this spell book. This is a starting point for your ever growing spell book. And that spell book that you have in, includes not just your written rituals, not just the rituals with a formula, things like that, but it includes all of the rituals and things that just sort of come out of you at, at any given time that are just sort of, you know, inspired by your own imagination. Uh, and so that's one of those areas that I really want to encourage people to just take these spells as a, you know, as a springboard to, to get, to get you to where you need to go. Um, and we only have like two minutes left. So <laughs> I know, um, but it's fascinating. I want to just keep going, but you also talk about the spell entry structure. Yeah. And in that you talk about the moon phases, the mm-hmm. zodiac signs, the days of the week that mm-hmm. will all enhance. And you actually have the graphs or the tables in your book that will show Monday is for Thursday is for, mm-hmm. um, and then the moon, the, the full moon or the new moon or the waxy moon, um, which is great. And then you have the sympathetic, uh, magic, which mm-hmm. is like, um, like yours, like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the, the law of sympathy. And then there's the law of contagion also, which I, I talk about, which is basically creating sort of magical connections. Um, I, the, the easiest example to give is really, you know, a healer using a representation of their client to heal their client remotely, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And so we have this sort of cultural idea of like the voodoo doll and poppets right. and things like that has always been used to hurt people. More often than not, healers used these things to heal people remotely as well. And so, you know, I, I mentioned in, in the spell book several times about, you know, making representations of things or of people to, in order to manipulate them magically without them being physically present. And in the retribution section, you know, we do lots of puppets uh, for our enemies, things like that. But they can also be done for, you know, working on people remotely, for healing people remotely. Um, I do that a lot. You know, sometimes people will send me a photo of themselves that I can use to heal, uh, heal them remotely. That's a representation. That's that sort of sympathetic connection that can be made. And just to mention the timings um, really quick. You know. We can't. We can't. Oh. <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> I know. Tell us where we can get your book and, and where we can get hold of you. So uh, the book is available for pre-order right now through Llewellyn Worldwide, as well as lots of different places online, Amazon, Bookshop, Barnes and Noble. Um, come early June, we will have a release. Uh, it'll, you know, the pre-orders will ship and mm-hmm. it may be in some local stores near listeners. I, I never know where people pick them right, up from, right. but they will be available online. And, and how about your a, first book too? They're almost like companion books. They yeah. are. Um, yeah. They were really written to be companions. The first book really goes into a lot more detail about the magical um, timing of it. Yeah. Uh, the, the magical theory behind it. So I do recommend people try to pick up both copies, but the, the spell book is all of the, the practice stuff. The, the first book, the Ozark folk magic is uh, all of the theory. And then where can they get hold of you if they want to work with you directly? So I have a website, ozarkhealing.com. And there's a contact form on there if anybody would like to contact me or reach out. I also offer virtual classes and in-person classes now. 
Um, and my schedule of classes is on my website as well. Um, I have a Facebook, Ozark Healing Traditions, uh, Instagram, at Ozark Healing Traditions, and uh, Twitter, at Ozark Healing. Great. Hey, Brandon, thanks so much for being on the show. I loved it. We needed a whole nother show to go through this. Yeah, because the structure, all of it is fascinating. But thank you for being on. Thank you. And have a great weekend. Thank you, too. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for Metaphysics, A View Through the Veil. Please tune in for another edition with your host, Barb Crowley, next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Enjoy your upcoming weekend.